You're listening to the Storyteller Series Author Interviews, an original production from Night Shift Radio Media. I'm your host, Andrea Quinn, and this week we'll be talking with Tom Wachowski, whose story The Guardian Devil was featured on our most recent episode of the Storyteller Series. You can listen to Tom's story by heading to storytellerseriespodcast.com slash listen. In The Guardian Devil, Leonard, the Guardian Devil from whom the story takes its title, grows increasingly frustrated by the changing world's waning need for creative types. In the fast-paced industry of causing trouble and mayhem for humans, there's just no time to slow down and appreciate the artistry of a well-orchestrated mishap. Things start to change for Leonard, though, when after making a new friend in the most unlikely of places, he's presented with the opportunity to showcase his talents as a different kind of guardian. Tom Wachowski lives in Minnesota and has spent the last 25 years avoiding respectable careers by working as a copywriter in advertising. He's worked on brands like Harley-Davidson and the Minnesota Twins and won several regional Emmys, as well as many other industry awards, most of which, Tom says, mean nothing. He started a short fiction blog in 2019 called Nine Circles Fiction, and his stories have since appeared in the Daily Drunk and Bright Flash Literary Review. In his spare time, he dreams about mountains. You can follow Tom on Facebook and Twitter at Nine Circles Fiction and read more stories on his site, NineCirclesFiction.com. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us at a Storyteller Series today. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so we're here to talk about your story that was recently featured on the Storyteller series, The Guardian Devil. And so a uh, quick disclaimer for our listeners. If you haven't heard Tom's episode yet, please pause us, go listen, come back, because we'll be discussing the story in detail. And so this won't be any fun for you if you don't know what we're talking about. And so you can head on over to StorytellerSeriesPodcast.com slash listen to check out The Guardian Devil and come right back here. We'll be waiting. So I'd like to start at the beginning, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, Good place to start. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Um, so I'm going to start just, I want to talk a little bit about your opening lines. And we'll talk, like I said, our listeners will hopefully have listened to the story already and maybe read it because the print edition is also available. Um, so so in terms of, of context and summary, they should be right there with us. So I want to start with opening lines in general. So sometimes I think you can tell what a writer likes most about writing as you're reading their work. For example, last week I talked with Marina Rubin and we talked a lot about like detail and specificity. So she's saying that she doesn't usually start writing a story down until she's got the plot just mapped out start to finish. So then she can go through and the work for her is in really filling out the plot with a lot of detail, that kind of thing. Which obviously that isn't to say that your writing isn't also rich in detail and and specificity and and feels very lived um, in. It's rather that I think... For you, if I had to guess, there are two things that jump out to me, right? So one, and um, we'll talk more about this one, we'll circle back if that's okay with you, um, is dialogue. But I also get the feeling that you kind of delight in a well-crafted opening line. So before I ask you to speak on that, and this is the most I'll talk uninterrupted uh, for the (laughs) interview, but do you mind if I share a couple that I came across while I was preparing for our conversation? No, absolutely. Please do. Great. Listeners, you'll find in our show notes links uh, to Tom's website where you can find his his short stories and and such. So from the great Empire Vampanzi debate, Blanford, do you think such a thing as a Vampanzi could exist? Blanford and and Fitzhugh, such fun names. That that really got (laughs) me. And then I think my favorite, aside from the Guardian Devil, which we're going to get to in a moment, is almost discount Daredevil. Most people don't like to almost die for a living. And then this last one here, The Guardian Devil, which, again, our listeners 
will have heard and hopefully read. In a delightful area of the cosmos, there is a lovely fern bar where guardian angels like to congregate between shifts. So my question is, first of all, is my sense you're correct? That's just for my own personal curiosity. And then second of all, how often do you find yourself writing your opening line first? Is that kind of something that... Yeah, I um, I will say that that first line, as I'm sure most writers know, is is so critical in you know, providing something that's interesting and unique and something that just catches your attention and makes you want to keep reading to the second sentence. So a lot of times, though, it's I will just launch in there with with a sentence. And I would say probably half the time it ends up being there at the end. How that happens, I have no idea. But (laughs) I think so much of the story as I'm thinking about it before I actually put pen to paper is just, you know, what is this story and how does it begin and where do I jump into the action? And, you know, it's, I'm sure it's, it's been written about ad nauseum about where do you begin a story and, and not giving too much background. So I think by the time I've actually gotten to writing the story or taking that idea to the next level, I've, I've kind of figured that first line out a little bit, or at least what I wanted to say, there might be some tweaking going on, but, um, I think getting something that's a little bit absurd, as you've seen in some of those, is to me that's that's what creates intrigue and goes, this guy's got a screw loose, and I kind of <laughs> want to see what that next sentence is. That's so funny. Yeah, it absolutely. Your stories, once you get, like you said, that first line, it's hard to 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 stop and not follow through and see, you know, what what's happening in the world that that you're writing that uh, made that line necessary in the first place. Um, so it sounds like. You do you go in with a general idea of your of your plot for your stories, or are you uh, somebody who kind of discovers along the way? I'm I'm more of a discoverer mm-hmm. along the way. I really um, most of my stories start off as just a, a weird idea, like, hey, what would the opposite of a guardian angel be, and what would that job be, or you know, what if you're what if you were the the worst daredevil on the face of the planet, like. And then I just kind of go and explore it. And um, The Guardian Devil was one of those where I, it was one of the very first stories that I wrote. And I didn't really know halfway through where it was going to even finish. Um, And I think I was as surprised as anyone when I got to the end and went, hey, this is going to, I like this, the way this is going to, this is going to pan out. So I wish I could say I had it all plotted out ahead of time. And I am so in awe of anyone that, that has their, has their story all figured out because um, I just I just don't. I like to explore and discover, and I'll get halfway through stories and throw them out, and then I'll go back to them and um, sort of wait for an ending to come to me that I really like. And to me, that's that's the the fun of building this little puzzle is is having a strange notion and then just following it somewhere. That's I, I love that so much. I'm really excited about the opportunities we're getting to talk to our authors because our again our listeners will hopefully have listened to Marina Rubin's interview, which will have aired last week. And you're both saying similar things, that surprise ending, the sort of, you know, playing in the part that is that is the most fun for you, but you clearly have different approaches, right? So getting to see how those things unfold and where those differences are, I think is really uh, something I'm excited about. So in, in talking about being somebody who does find the story along the way as they go and being surprised by that by that ending which I also was surprised by um, I really like to try to be <laughs> a step ahead of of the author which I think a lot of people do with the story when you can tell that there's something um, going on kind of behind the scenes almost and uh, I definitely didn't see see it coming so that was really uh, a delight to to get that surprise 
Well, I appreciate that because it's one of those things that, you know, it's it's easy to fall into these traps when you're writing of of coming up with a plot line that's a little bit, un, you know, expected. And so, you know, we've all read books where you you know you know what's going to happen after you've, you know, you're, you're into the book just a little bit. And I still like to read stuff like that just because, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for how the author gets there mm-hmm. and sort of maybe some of these unexpected things you might not see along the way. But at the end, you really kind of know how it's going to end. But finding that that ending, it's it's not easy, particularly with, you know, I mean, you think about how much media is out there right now between movies and, and streaming and TV and books and all this stuff and coming up with something that's truly surprising. It's it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're you're absolutely right. And that's one of the things that's really remarkable about your work. And definitely everybody listening, go check out Tom's other work, because I think that is one of the things that runs through is even if the surprise isn't some, you know, big like twist or, or something unexpected at the end, the worlds you build are still very surprising in that way. They feel very new and different. Well, thanks. And I think that's a lot of the creativity that I, I really enjoy bringing to it is sort of exploring something that, you know, maybe I hadn't thought of before or looking at something in a different way. And to me, that's, again, another part of writing that's so or at least the writing that I get to do for fun, which is the Nine Circles Fiction stuff, it's it just sort of releases me a little bit to go and suspend disbelief and, and hope that the reader will will do that and enjoy it along the way as well. That's great. And I think that does come through big time in your writing, that there's, there's a lot of fun and play happening there. Um, I want to talk, if you don't mind, to pivot and talk about just kind of voice in general and point of view in your story in, in The Guardian Devil. We we talked off air a little bit about our narrator, John Allen, who I think we were all really thrilled and delighted with his um, performance of your of your narrator. But your narrator already has a really strong, strong voice. So I'm really interested in in the voice of that narrator versus the voice of your protagonist. So the narrator, like I said, he's got this point of view and as much personality as any other characters in the story. And I know that on our social media in general, the story got a lot of comparisons to Hitchhiker's Guide uh, mm-hmm. with that sort of bird's eye um, perspective. Perspective. I teach English for a living. I know the word <laughs> perspective. Um, and uh, our actor who voiced the narrator, like I said, John Allen, he has a very kind of Stephen Fryian delivery. And certainly all of that is there. But there's also sort of David Attenborough quality to it. Yep. I love that the voice is sort of acting as if uh, reporting objective facts right about Leonard and his life. But then you get lines like, um, you can be certain these sorts of incidents are the handiwork of the guardian devils or guardians of no good. As their moniker goes, they are there whispering into the ear to touch that shiny spinning blade or knocking over the sidewalk clothes sign like a silent gust of wind. They make it happen. Why do they do it? Because they're assholes. And so I'm interested in how you think about voice, especially for your narrator. Can't really characterize through like what they're wearing, their interactions with other characters, that kind of thing. Well, I love I love humor. And I think in, in all my writing, I think you'll find that's kind of what I'm going for. I mean, there are some more serious pieces, but I, I just love humor and I love being sarcastic um, and stuff like that. And I think in in that story in particular, it really gave me the chance to like, let that narrator be his own character and the humor really comes through him in how he views the story and how he views um, the events that are happening to Leonard and the characters sort of provide just a little bit of explanation for what the narrator is almost saying <laughs> as we go along and that's what I, I really liked about about that narrator and I, how I really loved John's performance was 
he brought uh, a formalness to it, and particularly that line you mentioned, when he's got that very rich, almost bombastic accent, and then when you contrast that to him saying, why do they do it? Because they're assholes. It just, it just to me, that lifted the script up a lot, and it just sort of provided this juxtaposition of um, talking about this guy who's a total asshole with this very formal voice. Yes, it's super fun. Um, I'm really glad that that, that that worked for you, too. No, John nailed it, and I was. Um, I I would say I hadn't thought of it when I wrote it that it would have a have a, an accent, but when I heard it, I just loved it. He just he just did a great performance. That's so funny. I like I said, I always listen first, so I can't say for sure how I would have heard heard that voice, but but either way, I do think that he, it really jumps off the page like that. And so yeah, so you were talking about the way that the the characters in your story kind of just give you a little bit of explanation, let you know what's going on so that your narrator can then comment on it. And yes. I, was, I was thinking about, so now I have two thoughts. And the first one is I was thinking about what this story would look like if you did have a more straightforward narrator, right, who wasn't the, the real personality of the story. And it would, you know, this kind of little dejected, a little jaded guardian devil getting himself caught up in, in some trouble and um, it would still be a, a fun and also funny story, I think, but it would, it's very different. And thinking about the way that that point of view and perspective can change just the the way the events in a story feel and are received by the reader, I think, is really interesting to think about. I think with a different narrator, it would have been, to your point, yeah, I think the, the plot would have still worked. But I think then it would have relied on more of the characters to sort of build that humor and... And I don't know if, like you said, exactly with a with a disillusioned character like Leonard, if if that would have played. Involved just to sort of provide that humor, but I think the narrator was was able to. Kind of how yeah, I absolutely. wanted it to. And to that end, thinking about, I talked about opening lines, beginning voice, all of that. And then, of course, dialogue, right? It's the second thing for me that really stands out in your writing and not just here, but in your Keep other work. I'm, I'm noticing so much happens in your stories through dialogue. Uh, certainly, this is the case, you know, in The Guardian Devil uh, to an extent. And that's obviously the story we're here to talk about. But I think a really good example of this is in the great chimpan or chimpire vampanzi debate where i mean it is told entirely through dialogue right it's these two people blanford and fitzhugh going back and forth and i read that first line blanford do you think such a thing as a vampanzi could exist what is a vampanzi fitzhugh well it's part vampire part chimpanzee of course that's ridiculous and they go back and forth their debate kind of unfolds that way and there's there's something really fun for me as a reader to to see that and not really be able to see their their setting or the world around them and have to kind of fill that in. But I'm wondering what you're thinking about when you're going into a story like that. Was it a like an exercise in can I do this? Was it, you know? Yeah, a lot of it is. Um, that's And for me, Nine Circles Fiction has been kind of a little writing playground where I can challenge myself to try different styles and, and try different themes. And, and, you know, the, the great chimpire Van Panzee debate was, was one of those where I went, how much of this story can I tell just using dialogue and, and how much character can I get out through these guys? Um, if we never describe a single part of them, like if we don't, if we don't know, 
you know, how tall they are or what color shirt they're wearing or any habits that they have. I mean, how can you still tell a story and have people walk away going, oh, I kind of I kind of know who those characters are. So for me, it's um, it's all just an experiment and, and it's fun bringing those to life and seeing if I can actually do it. Another story on my site is called uh, The Last Survey, which is... Um, a conversation between a celestial being and someone who's just passed away, sort of talking about, you know, what the meaning of all of it is. And again, it's it's 100% all dialogue. Um, and I, I don't know as if it was as successful as the Chimpire Van Panzee debate, just because I think the Chimpire Van Panzee one was just a lot more fun for me, and maybe a little less heavy in nature. But I mean, it's again, it's just using this using this tool of dialogue and seeing if I can tell a whole story and then hopefully somewhere down the line I can build on that and make sure that my dialogue really resonates and, and, and does what it needs to do. That's so smart to use it as a kind of exercise for for building that muscle for, for other work. Um, I think sometimes dialogue can feel like it's taking up space for an author who has a story but has like has a plot but hasn't really figured out what to who their characters are what they need to say so there's just sort of like some stuff filled in because they know characters are supposed to talk um, so to to work to tell a story just through what they're saying I think is is really smart and everyone knows dialogue's not easy I mean there's things that the way we talk in real life you kind of want to bring that realism but you know, there's a lot of things the way we do talk that you wouldn't put on a printed page. So it's it's this fine line of capturing dialogue that's not fake, but still sort of finding a way to make it fit on a page and make it make it interesting and concise. Yeah, absolutely. And distinct between voices. Um, yep. Something I was thinking about just as as you were saying that um, with with the Guardian Devil. And I want to kind of talk about <laughs> two things at once here because you said you know getting an idea for these characters without seeing them and and seeing the world around them uh, i think for me anyway i'm kind of obsessed with how people name their characters and so with the uh, great Chimpi- chimpire i'm gonna get it right eventually the great <laughs> chimpire van pan z debate giving us those names right blanford and fitzhugh i think gives you a little hint about about who they are especially then Thinking about them juxtaposed with Janet and and Leonard, when you got to, when you got Janet's Janet's name, I I kind of laughed out loud a little bit. It was such a perfect like, what's the wife of a guardian devil who works in administration? Like, what what else could her name be but Janet? <laughs> uh, that was fun. Yeah, names are one of those things that. You know, when I first started writing, I just sort of fling some names together and, and throw them in there. And, you know, you learn that, that names can really, really tell a lot about it. So I think as I've kind of moved on and, and grown in my writing, I kind of want to find names that, you know, not only fit the character, but also, you know, I like having a little bit of underlying thing behind them that maybe the reader might not know. But, you know, if they ever dig into it, they might find out something that's like, oh, now I see why he named that character that, or now I know why that town was named that, or something like that. So I think there's always fun just putting a little a little nugget or an Easter egg in some of these names. And then once once your readers know that that's something that, that you're, you know, that that's one of the sort of tools in your toolbox, they know to be looking for those things, and it just, it adds sort of another level of interaction for the reader that I think can be really fun. You know, and, and another one in that character or in that story is uh, Angel. You know, I, I had no idea what to what to name that character. How do you, you know, give a, 
you know, there's there's lots of famous angels and stuff like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, if you look at one of those opening scenes when when Leonard runs into the fern bar and they're all sort of similar, um, that's where I kind of went, you know what, this this character doesn't need a name. They're, Just you know, they're almost homogenous in, in how they look and how they behave. And so I, I really kind of just liked calling him Angel. That was one of the things that I sort of uh, clicked with first in terms of thinking about how this story was, was working and who these characters were, because it's not the Angel, right? And it's not an Angel. And it's not, like you said, it, I guess Angel Gabriel wouldn't be a good example. But, you know, there, there are plenty <laughs> of, of names, like you said, you could have pulled and had some sort of written in backstory for them almost um but then at the same time leonard's leonard he's not the well he's not devil i'm trying to even figure out how the hierarchies <laughs> yeah <laughs> work in that right. way there is a, there is a demon named leonard and that's kind of where i got is the there? name and it's there is yep um <laughs> and uh and that's but that's why i liked it it's because it, it it was a name that almost didn't fit yeah you know I and, have no idea. and and so you know, that to me was part of his character was finding this name that didn't fit him because, in the, you know, as the story goes on, we, we learn maybe he doesn't really want to be a guardian devil anymore. Maybe he, he is a little bit of a, a, you know, an outcast. That's so funny. I had no idea there was a, <laughs> there was a Leonard. To me, it's like you, you think, you know, what's the most ridiculous name for somebody? Um, and, <laughs> But yeah, yes, it is, it is the kind of name that you might hear someone in an accounting department have or something like that. Yeah, and exactly. so to me, that's why it was so it was so appropriate because it, it just didn't fit a, a demon. So so did you page through like a list of I'm about to Google names of demons? <laughs> yes, I did. I did, actually. Um, and as you know, anyone who writes knows there's, the, the Internet is, is just filled with places you can go to, you know, research names and the things you can find out there are amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, like <laughs> lots of resources. You found the like you found the right one to do what your story does. That's so fun. I'm always tempted to give names to my characters of people who have you know pissed me off in the past. <laughs> um, I always kind of want to name the asshole after you know the guy that laid me off or something like that. But I've I've kind of resisted that temptation. But who knows in the future? Yeah, that's very. Uh... It's a lot of willpower there because they can't, what are they going to do? Say the asshole in, in your story, I know that was me. And then they have right. to admit that, that they were the asshole. Um, that's, you know what? You've, I've been inspired today. <laughs> and then you'll never run out of names. I mean, the, the list of assholes doesn't really, <laughs> seems never ending. We've uh we've talked a lot about humor more generally, right, in the play in your in your story. But to talk a little more specifically about it, uh, the the sort of the the play in the story itself of Leonard's back and forth between doing good and evil, the kind of unconventional camaraderie he develops with Angel. It's I keep using the word play, but that's exactly what it feels like is going on there to me. And, and with all that, the story is still engaging in a way that isn't just about the humor. Sometimes I think some stories get so caught up in trying to be clever, and then that overshadows anything else going on. But, you know, tension builds throughout your story. And uh, so with all of that said, I'm just really curious about process in that way. Um, so how you go about balancing those various elements in your story um, to keep it light and lively, but still make sure the stakes are high enough that, you know, we stay invested, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and this will... This will I'm going to go back um, a little bit um, in my own writing past is, is that I, 
I was a, a copywriter in advertising. Well, I still am. And I was focused on, you know, I write 30 second radio commercials or 30 second TV commercials or seven word billboard headlines. And mm-hmm. so um, the thought of writing a book always scared me because I just thought, well, it's too big. It's, it's, I can't wrap my head around something that's going to be 300 pages, you know, when I'm used to filling out, uh, you know, like a six word headline um, on a print ad. So one day I, I had this idea and it was writing like almost a Bill and Ted's excellent adventure through Dante's nine circles of hell. And which is flash forward to today, that's where Nine Circles Fiction got its start. But um, so I, I wrote this book and and it turned out it was terrible. And, <laughs> and the editor said, you know what, you should never write another word the rest of your life. It just it turned out like I, I everything in my story was off balance. And this guy was right. I mean, maybe not about never writing another word in my life, but everything was off balance. The plot was off balance. The humor level level was off balance. Um, and so after that, and I, I kind of stopped writing for a little bit after that, just cause I got sort of <laughs> and disheartened about the whole experience. But then I, I, when I really got this desire to get back into it, the short story has been able to provide me, like I said, that, that playground to go, okay, how do I balance the humor? How do I make it that it's still funny, but it, it, it has that plot line that, that builds tension and people are really wondering and makes them want to keep turning the page. And, and it's not easy. You know, I mean, I know so many authors that write books and you, you go, I could do that until you actually sit down and start (laughs) trying to do it. And then, and then you, you go, it's really, it's, it's not an easy thing. And so, you know, with the short story, I can bite off little bits of a story. I can tell one part of a story um, and and learn to just balance it on on a micro level. And then, you know, maybe somewhere down the line, it's it's something bigger and a bigger project that I can you know have a little more experience than balancing these things and getting it to a to a place that feels good. I love your open openness about using these sort of different exercises and you're writing these short stories which which are lovely and and again hopefully our listeners will will seek out um more of your work but but using them as a sort of exercise to say you know uh it looks like anybody you sit down and look at a book well we have this idea of and i think in the last decade or so as authors are more um accessible and and more vocal on like social media, that myth is being dispelled. But the idea that an author just sits down and puts their fingers to keys and a book comes forth, uh, we know that's not true. But to to hear you talk about it as as the work, as this muscle that you're kind of working to build, I think is really refreshing. I like that a lot. Yeah, and if and if anyone's out there thinking about writing stuff, I mean, please, I mean, don't be afraid. Just I know it's it's rough and it's hard to put it out there. And I know the first time I hit hit post on the website to put a story up and then send out things to people that I knew, Hey, could you read this? I mean, it is, it scares the hell out of you, mm-hmm. but please do it. Cause that's how you learn. And some of them may be successful and some of them may not, but it, it doesn't matter. That's, it's all about, uh, you know, expressing yourself through words and, and figuring out ways to tell a cool story and, and getting your voice out there not to go off track, but I mean, the guardian devil is so much of my story. Like it's Leonard is, is me who is, you know, sort of disillusioned with a career um, and really wanting to do something different. Telling that story through him um, helped me just sort of realize what it's all, you know, that, that, that these stories are, are in me and I need to tell them. And, you know, I'm sure everyone has their own unique story and, and tell those stories to the world. That is absolutely beautiful. 
Um, I almost want to end the interview there because that was such a, a beautiful way of saying that. But I do want to ask, you said, you know, writing the book was was hard and it was, uh, you know, getting the elements balanced. And um, I think certainly the length, right, just this is an obvious thing to say, but they're they're longer. So in that way, it can take more time and then therefore it can be more difficult. And, you know, but writing something engaging that is, you know, a story story, like beginning, middle, end um, with characters that that you believe in, in a short, in a smaller um, space to work with is also really hard, right? In a different way. It can be, like you said, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's work. Um, and the reason I hesitated to ask this question this way is because I'm wondering if, um, and if the last thing you want to talk about is, is your other um, writing gig, I understand. But I'm wondering if <laughs> doing the kind of writing that you do, if you think that's been a sort of asset for you to have that that kind of work yeah it it absolutely wasn't was and is an asset um writing advertising when i first broke into it you know i i didn't i don't have a writing degree uh i didn't take any creative writing classes or anything like that i was working in marketing and that's what my degree was in and i i spent about a year doing that and it was about as pleasant as a root canal <laughs> and so i i kind of wanted to do something that was a little more fun. And, and I used to write letters to clients and things like that. And I'd have fun with them. And, and I went, yeah, I'm going to do this. Well, then I said, well, I'm going to break into advertising. And again, another thing that I'm like, yeah, I can do that until you're actually sitting down trying to do it. And you're like, wow, coming up with a good headline is it's tough. And so, um, again, it's, it sort of taught me how to like focus what I want to say. And if I can say something in 20 words, if I can figure out a way to get it down to six words and communicate the same thing, you know, I I need to do that. And so it's taught me that. And it's taught me how to think about what really resonates as far as words and how do you, you know, use, pick a certain word because it, Mm -hmm. it, it's going to, it's going to portray a, um, an emotion to it. So finding that right emotion that goes with the product that we're, that we're talking about has been, you know, invaluable and, and I've, I've really, the times when I really loved that job was when I was able to just write like a 30 second radio spot that was just pure emotion and, and, and connecting people to, to something that they really feel. Um, and then making the switch and saying, here, you should buy this product on account of that. <laughs> um, but, but no, I mean, just, just that really sort of set me up for, for writing and, and is, is sort of fan my passion for writing, I've also worked with so many different writers with so many different styles, and I've seen so many interesting people in advertising. They're, they're just characters that that um, I'm sure they've been the basis for a bunch of my different characters. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's an amazing world of these these outcasts and pirates and stuff like that that I got to know. And so, you know, my writing through that has, has I think, been strengthened, um, and just knowing different people has, has provided a lot of fodder. <laughs> That's so funny. When I think about um, people who work in advertising, it has seemed to me like a more solitary job. So to even imagine you writing with, you know, alongside somebody else or something like that was a, I guess that maybe. No, um, to answer that, I mean, we do, you know, most of the time it is if I'm writing something, it's by myself. Um, There are times we're working with other writers to brainstorm stuff or if my boss um, came from a writing background, you know, they'd be able to provide me a lot of assistance and stuff like that. Um, One of my first jobs was working on um, Harley Davidson and every year they'd come out with this big catalog, which was a 
Um, it was almost a book. I mean, it, it was like a nine month birthing process to get this thing out the door because the photography was beautiful and there was a theme that was through it all. And, um, and so it was, it was months and months of writing and then more time editing and then fitting it into the space to make it look just perfect. And, and I would work with writers on that who were just brilliant and they'd be able to, you know, take a thought that I had and then weave it into something that was way more interesting. So, you know, learning from guys like that, um, has been, it's been pretty cool. Um, you know, that said, as the, as the industry has moved on and, and things have changed, you know, my, my personal opinion is the advertising that's out there right now isn't quite as, as fun and engaging as it used to be. And some of that is because we've moved to a digital world and, you know, if you, yeah. we move to, saying it in Twitter posts and social, you know, Facebook, Facebook ads and things like that. So it's a little bit different, but you know, at the end of the day, you still need a good idea. So. Yeah, absolutely. I know that everything, I'm not saying anything new for anybody, but everything is kind of changing in that way. And it's just interesting to think about how then everything else has to change around the changing things. And I don't know. It's so you said, um, when we were talking about thinking of writing as as these sort of challenges for yourself. So in your story, The Last Survey, uh, you said you weren't sure if it was as successful as the Chimpire Vampanzi, the great Chimpire, Chimpire Vampanzi. I'm going to record <laughs> myself saying it right once and just drop it in. I'm going to sound like a weird robot, but I'll, I'll get there. You said you weren't you weren't sure if it was successful and you said it was because, well, you didn't say it was because. You said, I read the word because. You said, uh it wasn't as much fun for you, I think is what you said, or you didn't have as much fun writing it. And uh, I love that equating success with how much fun it was for you as a writer. (laughs) Just, I really connect with that. I think that's really, uh, is that how you think about it more generally or? Yeah. And I mean, why I do it is to have fun. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I mean, everyone's, you know, you've heard the quote, like write the book that you want to read. And so um, to me, if I can, you know, be humorous and make people laugh or even just get a chuckle or a smile from reading one of my stories, I mean, that makes me happy. But at the end of the day, it's like, if I, if I write something like the Chimpire Van Panzee debate and it made me laugh going through it, um, just one, the names that you brought up, you know, uh, Blandford and uh, mm-hmm. Fitzhugh, you know, immediately take you someplace. You know, the ending, I, I don't know if people saw coming or not, um, but to me it was this very formal conversation between two people. And again, you know, these very formal names, and I kind of like juxtaposing that. Um, you know, to me that was, it just made me laugh writing the whole thing. That one more than maybe any other story, just I... It, I probably wrote it in about 45 minutes because it was one of those things that just you start going and, you, and you're writing dialogue and it makes you laugh. And, and to me, that's, I guess, why you do it. I, I definitely agree with you um, with that story as, as the reader. And so um, definitely listeners go back um, or I guess don't, don't go back if you haven't been there yet, but follow our links to, to Tom's uh, website where you can read that, that debate and, uh, and get to that ending yourselves. Cause I think it is, it's, it's a fun surprise. I don't want to, and as much as the, the back and forth of the dialogue on its own is, is its own kind of uh, like, that's, that's a fun exercise on its own for, but that ending is such a, is such a fun little button, I think on a story like that. Yeah, and it's finding, you know, can you can you keep those voices distinct yeah. enough where 
if you can, you know, not even need a said whatever your character's name is. I mean, if you can get to that point, I mean, that's that's another trick that you know. I mean, play around with it and have fun and and try and find ways to give these characters, you know, unique emotions and unique things to say, and um, and and that'll you know strengthen the writing as well. Yeah, I think that's great. The you're sort of about balance between talking about writing as as something that should be fun and a, and a space for you to try on these these new challenges and that kind of thing, but also looking at it, it sounds to me anyway, um, like work. I keep saying this muscle that you're working out with these challenges. Again, I already said the the myth of the writer who sits down and the words just flow from their fingers, but there's also that tortured, right, kind of author. I was thinking of the quote, and it's always ascribed to Dorothy Parker, and I don't think she's actually the one who originated it, but I'll put it in the show notes if I find the original but um it's like i don't like to write but i like having written yeah um and i think about that a lot especially as i'm more of an academic than a creative writer um but i think about that a lot when i'm really slogging through something that isn't bringing me joy but i know it has to get done and that i know i'll be you know on the other side i'll feel good about it but finding places to to play and have fun with writing is such a joy yeah and that is true um so now that i've said all this about having fun <laughs> I, I also realize that it is um, if you go in my story called Flip Script, um, there's a character called Nigel who he's a dentist, but by night he he writes. And you know, one of the truths in that story is that you got to force yourself to sit down. Sometimes, I mean, most days you get up and you go, I don't really want to write. But mm-hmm. once you get there, and if you can get to that place where you're really having fun, then it then it's all worth it. And to th- what makes that quote that you said really poignant is that's the truth. I mean, it's it's work and it's not easy. And, and I oftentimes think, well, anyone can do this if you just sit down and think about it. And people are like, no, no, they, they can't. But, you know, I mean, that's the more you sit down and the more you duct tape yourself to the chair and, and, and turn off the, you know, safari for a while and, <laughs> and stop checking your emails, you know, I mean, you can really focus and, and, and you'll find these, that you can write these things that are, that are fun and, and, and you'll enjoy it. And, and that's what makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Were you, so I know you said that you you got your start in marketing um, and that's what your degree was in. Were you somebody who wrote sort of for fun on your own before you got into advertising or? No, not really. I remember in like high school though, I'd, I'd always do really well in all my writing classes, uh, English classes. And, you know, we'd have creative writing sections within a a semester. And I, and I always like that. And I, and I think back, like, why didn't I, why didn't I pursue it back then? You know, and I'm sure it was probably the product of not that my parents discouraged it or anything, but it was more like they, they left my future up to my, up to me, mm-hmm. but it was more like, well, I have to do what my dad did and get a job where I put on a tie and I dress <laughs> people like, hello, Mr. Jones. And then you shake hands with them um, <laughs> business, every morning. Business, business. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know, even to this day, when I go off to my advertising writing job wearing, you know, shorts and a sweatshirt or something like that, I'm like, shouldn't I be getting dressed up more? I mean, this is, yeah, so that's, you know, I mean, I I should have probably followed it, but it followed me eventually. That's beautiful. I, uh, I teach mostly... Uh students in first year writing at the at the university level I, some other things too but they all come into my comp classes saying they they hate writing and they're not writers and convincing them that you're not 
a writer because you don't write. But the second you sit down and start start doing that work, right, that that makes if you're writing, then you're a writer um, and finding ways to enjoy it and make it feel like a sort of like a live thing in your own life, I think, is really important if that's something you're interested in doing. And it sounds like you found ways to do that for yourself. But I love that. If you're writing, you're a writer. It's, it's good. <laughs> you know, especially I think. There's like a window, right? When you're a kid, I know for a lot of people making up stories, we talk about it a lot. It's like second nature. We don't even think about it. And then you lose that somewhere for a lot of people. And then finding it later, I think, is allowing yourself to to do that, I think, is can be hard. So I try to, at least for my students, demystify that, make it feel a little more accessible. Yeah, there was uh, a little picture floating around the internet for a while that I used to have a picture up on my wall and it just said, uh, don't be afraid to suck at something new <laughs> yeah, exactly. or, you know, be brave enough to suck at something new. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm in my late forties and I just started my, my writing blog last year. So, I mean, there's, there's no, there's no expiration date on, on writing and, and having fun with it. I know. I keep saying, I love that after everything you say, but you've, <laughs> you've given us a lot of wonderful to think about, um, one more thing, and then I will let you get back to your life. Um, as somebody whose job it is to be able to communicate, I'm going to ask this more generally. I'm always interested in, and I don't know if this is interesting for other people, but it's for me, revision, if, um, how people approach revision if they have different ideas of what that looks like, of what a first draft versus, uh, I'm saying, the air quotes here, listeners, a uh, final draft, right? Because I think we all, having something be done is, is a relative term um, for for everybody. But do you have a sort of, way you think about revising your work? Yeah, um, I, I tend to edit as I go. So by the time I get done with the first draft, it's probably what's there is probably 90% of what will end up being there. But it's that 10% though that really ends up making the difference. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's walking away from it for a couple nights and then you know your brain will figure out cooler ways to say things <laughs> or a little funny nugget that you can put in there or something. I know there's always this you know, when I, I kind of set a goal to write a short story a month, um, you start getting down on the deadline. You're like, I'm just going to get this out. But then, you know, I kind of got to pause and say, well, you know, I really want to make this as good as I can. And if I sit and let this stew for a little bit, you know, that one spot that I just feel there's like a bare spot, like, like something will come to me and I'll be able to figure it out. And that's, you know, it's really cool when you get that, like two days later, you go, oh, I know what, I know what I got to put in there. It's, it's, it's that. And, or, hey, that would have been a cooler way to say it, or I can clean that sentence up, or maybe I don't even need that paragraph or stuff like that. Um, I also have uh, one buddy that I work with who, he writes a blog as well. Um, his is more of, he, he tells stories of his his past um, in history, so his is more of a non-fictional thing, but we like to bounce stuff off each other. And, and he's always, you know, got some great ideas on, hey, what if you just chop this line off, or it might be more powerful if you, you know, if you added a sentence here that connected those two things. So like I said, I, I edit as I go. And then, and then those, those just two days where you walk away from it and just, just let your mind, your mind will be thinking about it even when, you know, you're not actively thinking about it and it'll figure it out. So that's, that's kind of my process with editing. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. You saying uh, about putting the work down for a couple of days and letting your brain, you're always working, right? Um, You don't have to just be sitting in front of the, in front of the blinking cursor that, that it's all, it's all work. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's, man, it's so critical to do that too. I mean, 
with with anything it's that you're writing is to just sometimes you get so caught up that you can't see the you know the forest through the trees and um but if you take that time and step back it'll like you said your brain is always working and it'll it'll figure it out and it'll come up with something fun to say or you know more powerful and um, i highly encourage anyone who's editing to to take a good step back yeah have have um have you read uh, Stephen King's On Writing? I'm, I'm shaking my head as I'm saying it because I know it's like one of the... I know, and I haven't read it. I'm probably the one guy who hasn't read it, and everyone goes, oh, have you read that yet? <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I haven't read it. It's, it's sitting in my Amazon uh, <laughs> wish list. There are so many books. I mean, like, that was not to, to book shame you for not having read it, but he says something about, I think when he finishes, finishes um, a first draft... Uh, he puts it away for a month to be able to walk away from a story for that amount of time and come back to it, I think is, yeah, I don't know. I think the difference is he probably writes a whole other book in that month. That, I, but. Was just, I was just <laughs> thinking that he writes so fast and then some, what, 11, <laughs> you know, one of those right. 12 months you get in a year is spent just sitting in a drawer. Right. He's so prolific. Um, but, you know, I mean, like as far as that book, um, you know, I've read a couple other books, and and part of you ends up going, well, should I be sitting here reading about writing, or should I just sit my ass down and actually write something? Yeah, exactly. And everybody, as we're as we're learning, and um, this is part of the reason that I'm asking authors so much about process is is it is different for everybody. And I think, you know, that might be an obvious thing to say, but for young writers or new writers. Um, who do read that one book and then think, you know, I've got to get up at 6 a.m. and write for three hours and or I can only write at night and um, getting to see inside other people's process, um, I think, or I hope anyway, is, is helpful for people who are thinking about doing it themselves. So so which is to say, yeah, if you're and now I'm going to give writer advice for no reason, if you're <laughs> deciding between sitting down and writing or reading a book about writing, I, I would argue that maybe the more valuable work is doing the writing. Right. Yeah, and you know, I I also think reading is is so mm-hmm. powerful too. Like, um, you know, I I read a lot, um, and that, I think you can learn so much from other writers. And, um, you know, like the Guardian Devil in particular is written in present tense. And again, that was something that I was playing around with. You know, a lot of stories are written in past tense, and someone's telling you what did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I had actually read a book, I think it was uh, Frederick Backman's A Man Called Uwe. Um, he's a Swedish author who's, I, I've really enjoyed his work, and he, he tends to write a lot in, in present tense as well. Um, and that sort of inspired me to just sort of look at storytelling a little bit, a little bit different, maybe even, you know, a combination of that, and then using like really short sentences in The Guardian Devil. I mean, I really tried to make it as bare bones as possible to sort of describe what was going on. Um, and that, you know, again, I think it came together. And for me, when I was done, I really, I really liked how it sounded. Um, and, um, again, that was a little bit inspired by, you know, this Frederick Backman, a little bit inspired by thinking about how Hemingway used to, you know, be so, be so precise in the words that he chose. So I'm, I'm realizing now, um, that that present tense is, part of where that Attenborough nature documentary that I was imagining the story kind of uh, operating as, and it is that, that, you know, direct, immediate, in real time narration that, uh, 
that is obviously contributing to that. I just hadn't thought about it that directly. So that's, that's very interesting to, to hear. Is there anything in your um, story that you were hoping people would sort of grab onto or notice or, or a reaction you were expecting that you haven't? Not even in like, I'm disappointed about this way, but I'm just curious. Uh. Um, no, you know, when um, I think when I first sent it to some people, you know, they're like, wow, it's, it's a little dark, you know, like mm-hmm. this, this guy's pushing guys in front of buses and, and all that sort of stuff. And like when I was writing it, I didn't, I didn't feel that at all. Like I, I just, I just felt like it was this interesting story about a, a guy who was trying to, you know, he's really down on the dumps and he's trying to, you know, find a way to, to, to get past all that. But I suppose when it's named, you know, the guardian devil and it's from a guy who writes at nine circles, fiction.com, <laughs> people tend to tend to think it's, it's a little bit darker, but uh, it's, in my opinion, it wasn't a dark story, maybe a little, little bit, but I think it's an uplifting story at the end. So, yeah, I, I, that's well, maybe not. Now that I think about it, huh. now that I think about the ending, maybe not. <laughs> context is everything, but I guess it really. Huh? I do get. I, man, I hadn't even thought about about that. That's so funny. Now I'm going to be. I'll be interested to see what our listeners think as well. Feel free to tweet us at uh, NSR Storyteller and Tom as well if you'd like them to reach out to you at Nine Circles Fiction and and let us know how you how you uh, received that ending. That's Received as a little passive, but how you encountered uh, that ending, how it how it affected you, I'm interested. Well, maybe it's maybe it's not. I don't know. If it's <laughs> uplifting now that I think about it. I think I was but. uplifted. It's you know, it's, it's never too late to to try something new, right? <laughs> Even if that's I don't know, and to make a new friend in a place you yeah. you don't often expect. Well, thank you so much for for doing this. This was this is fantastic. I appreciate you. One being interested in the story and to the, the fantastic production on it. It's really, uh, like I said, you guys brought it to life in a way that I, it's exactly what I pictured it. And, um, I'm so happy I sent it to you guys and, and I'm thrilled that you had me on to chat about it. No, we're so happy that you sent it to us too. Um, you know, it, you gave us something wonderful to work with. So I'm glad that, that you were happy again with the, as I said, with the product and thank you so much for, for doing this with us. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. The Storyteller series author interviews is a Nightshift Radio media production. Visit us at nightshiftradio.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NSR Storyteller.